Any of you watch the great British baking show? I just gave them both a Paul Hollywood handshake because that, that was just too good. Don't we have an incredible band? It's awesome. Welcome to worship today as we continue this journey through Advent. Man, it helps when you got music like that to tee you up. So um, grateful for our great team. A couple of weeks ago at our Thanksgiving uh, service, following the service, I was in the back there and I noticed one of our officers, uh, Eddie, police officer Eddie, who I hadn't seen in quite a while. And of course, we all love our guardians in the blue who are back there standing guard over us. And uh, so I, I called out his name, and I went over to see him and to greet him, and I threw my arms around him and gave him a great big hug and said what I always say, we're just so grateful that you guys are here, standing watch, uh, protecting us as we, uh, as we worship the Lord. Well, when I reached out to grab him, I had this lanyard in my left hand. So I wrapped my arms around him, grabbed it, and then as I pulled back, I noticed that it wasn't coming back. It was hooked on something. So I kept pulling and pulling until I looked down and saw that my lanyard was wrapped around his gun handle. And I was trying to pull his pistol out of the holster. That would have been quite a headline, you know, Presbyterian pastor arrested for trying to disarm police officer. So... Our reunion ended up producing uh, a bit of an unexpected surprise for both of us. We're going to read about another unexpected surprise that takes place in a reunion this morning as we continue in our saga of Christmas as Luke shares it with us. And I want to put, the, put it all in context. Uh, the angel Gabriel has been a pretty busy boy, hasn't he? First of all, he makes an appearance to an old priestly couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are barren. They have no children, but Gabriel tells them that God's going to give them a miracle in the person of a son, a son who's conceived in their old age. And of course, that son is John, John the Baptist, that wild-haired, wild-eyed, grasshopper-eating preacher who was in the wilderness really as the Messiah's warm-up act. That was what he was called to be. It was the opening act for the Messiah. So there was miracle number one. Then Gabriel visited a teenage virgin girl in Podunk, Nazareth, called Mary, with the news that she was going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit and would give birth to that long-awaited Messiah. For hundreds of years, God had promised through his prophets that he was going to send a Savior, a Messiah, who would set all things right. Hundreds of years they waited, but now we discover God keeps his word. And it was going to be this young girl from Nazareth, Mary, who would be the mother of that long-awaited Messiah. So there's miracle number two. My daughter Rachel is also an EPC pastor, and uh, and she ministers in North Carolina, works at a, at a college there called Montreat. But in addition to that, she preaches a lot. And she knew she was going to be, she'd been asked to preach this coming Sunday on, on a very familiar text. And so she interviewed a middle school girl named Ella from the church that she was going to be preaching at. And I loved the interview. I thought I'd share with, with you how it went. Rachel said, if an angel showed up and said, I know you're not married, but you're going to have a baby. What would you think or feel? And Ella said, well, maybe freaked out because, you know, it's an angel. I mean, 
pregnant? What if it's, if it's for God? I guess, sure. <laughs> Rachel said, what would it be like telling your mom or your friends or the people at church? Ella said, ooh. I mean, oh, geez. Um, <laughs> I feel like my mom would believe me, but that would be hard. Rachel said, anything else you think was going through Mary's head? She said, I think she would have been very nervous, especially without doctors and having to do it in a stable. I would be nervous. I'll bet Mary was nervous, don't you? And where would she go? Who could she speak to? Who would, who would believe her? Well, one person came to mind, her relative Elizabeth. Uh, if anyone could help Mary think through this angelic visit, it would be another woman who had had a recent angelic visit as well. And so we turn to Luke chapter 1 to continue this epic Christmas journey, beginning with verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things in me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. In last week's message, when I talked about the annunciation of the angel Gabriel to Mary, I made the case that no one is ever too small, too insignificant to be used by God. So if that's you, if you feel inadequate or, or unprepared or unworthy, but you are willing... God can and will use you beyond ways that you can even imagine. And, and I think today's text only strengthens the point from last week's message. It is a story, isn't it, of how God uses the insignificant. First of all, astoundingly, there is the witness of the unborn. Did you see that? There's the witness of the unborn. What person is less powerful than an unborn child? especially in first century Rome, which placed no value on the unborn. 
or even on the newly born. If the father didn't want the child, they just set it out in the weather to die. They could be disposed of without a second thought. And yet Luke declares astoundingly in verse 15 that Elizabeth's child would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the mother's womb. Take note of that even from the mother's womb. And when Mary walks into Elizabeth's home and greets her, upon hearing her voice, unborn John leaps in his mother's womb. That word is actually the use that is used to describe a, a lamb that is frolicking in the pasture. Unborn John recognizes the voice of his Lord's mother, Mary, and he reacts with such powerful joy that Elizabeth cries out in exclamation. John is still in utero. He is three months away from his birth, about as small and insignificant as you can get. But this spirit-filled, unborn person is already playing a role that God has assigned to him. And by his leap of joy, he testifies to the Messiah who is still resident in his mother's womb. Isaiah prophesied that John would be a voice crying out in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. Well, he can't even speak yet. And yet by the power of the Spirit within his little unborn body, he is already pointing to Jesus. This week we presented a $20,000 check from beyond these walls to CareNet, our local Christian pregnancy support center, as a lead gift for their new building. Chapel Hill has always been a champion for the unborn and their parents. And by your generous giving, you continue to stand with the smallest and the least in this world who are precious and useful to God, after all. And of course, the second example of seemingly inconsequential person being used is Mary herself. We touched on this last week. How could God use a mere girl to accomplish His eternal plan? But she responds, as you saw, to Gabriel's invitation with what I think is the greatest affirmation of faith in all of the Bible when she says, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Whatever you say, God, I'm in. I am game, she says. It's awesome. And it was a great response, maybe the greatest ever. And then the angel left. And what's left behind there is an unwed, teenage, pregnant, peasant girl. Now what is she going to do? Who will she talk to? Who will even believe her? Well, the Holy Spirit is about to guide her on a, on a journey of empowerment. How is she going to be empowered for this calling that he has laid upon her life? I think this journey to visit Elizabeth actually un, unveils five different ways that she taps in to the power that is available to her. The same power available to us. It's the power of community, the power of generations, the power of blessing, the power of humility, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you feel inadequate to what God is calling you to do, if you feel you need to be strengthened for it, then get ready for a power surge. Here we go. First of all, our story testifies to the power of community. Mary, when she receives the news that she is miraculously pregnant, she, sets, she knew she couldn't face this alone. And so she sets out on what was at least a 60-mile journey, probably alone, 
It probably took her three days to walk this distance to Elizabeth's home in the outskirts of Jerusalem. Because, why? She knew she needed the power of community. She couldn't face this alone. We were all created for community. We were all created to be together, to experience life together. All of us. In Genesis, God said it was not good for us to be alone. He has never changed his opinion on the matter. I am so grateful for my community. I think, for instance, of my life group that meets on Friday mornings at 6.30 in the morning every week. We love and we pray for each other. We grapple with the Scripture text together. And then we ask how it impacts our lives. Once in a while, we will rate our marriage on a scale of 1 to 10, and then we will take responsibility for the part we need to play in making it better. We coach each other on raising our kids and on raising our grandkids. We coach each other on how to have a a God-honoring career. It turns out we need that community, that group of men. We need it. And I wonder, do you? I bet you do. And if so, are you plugged into the power of community? What about this community? Our worship. We weekly gather, and it's essential for our healthy spiritual life. I am so grateful that we have our online ministry, especially for those who are trapped at home for, in illness and unable to come. I heard just this week of a woman who can't yet attend church. She's still at home, and yet she is staying connected with her church through the, uh, our online ministry. I'm so grateful for that. But to you, my dear friends, who are able to come back but have not yet returned, I'm going to beat my Christmas drum, pum 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 one more time. I want to say this. You need this community. You need to be here with us. It's not just about great music. It's not just about a sermon. You need what can only happen when you are face-to-face with your flesh and blood, brothers and sisters. You need to be here in order to sit with and talk with and pray with and laugh with and mourn with each other. If you've held back from community for whatever reason, there's no time like Christmas to come back home. And so I invite you, come and join us. The water's good and we got room. So this story trumpets the power of community. The second thing it trumpets is the power of generations. The power of generations. Elizabeth was an old woman. Mary was a teenager. But Mary knew that she needed someone who had a few more miles on her tires. And she was willing to make a a three-day journey to spend time with this saintly senior citizen. I dare say now more than ever, we need to call our generations together. Now more than ever, with this culture that is confused and confusing, with social media that would love to serve as the replacement mentors in our children's lives, now more than ever we need to call upon our seniors to rise up and to reach out and to offer their love and their experience and their patience and the wisdom to a generation that may not even know how much they need those things. Through shared meals, through teaching Sunday school, through volunteering with youth group, or through just knowing their names and greeting them in the hallway. I have one of my brothers in in my life group. He is so good at that. He makes a point of learning the names of all of our families, and he greets these kids on purpose, by name. What power is there in that when you are known as a younger person by an older person who, who spots you and calls you out? I will always be grateful for the role that 
the older saints in our church played in the raising of our children. There are times when you just got to tap out. You are like tag team wrestling. You say, I'm, I'm out of here. And it is so good to have others that are ready, ready to step in. There are families and you know who they are. You, you became our surrogate parents and surrogate grandparents to our kids. And many of those relationships continue to this very day. When our daughter Rachel went away to college at Whitworth, she intentionally avoided the hipster church that all of her friends were going to. She chose instead a church that had generations. She told us, I won't go to a church that doesn't have gray heads in it. (laughs) Young people, do you have the courage to reach out to an older saint and say, would you mentor me? Oldsters, do you have the courage to take a young person out for lunch? It could change both of your lives. You recently heard Pastor Ellis share part of our five-year vision is, includes a, an academy for family discipleship. We want to train and empower our parents and our grandparents and our surrogate grandparents to, to engage in the lives of young people so that they are better equipped as they move out into an increasingly complex and antagonistic world. And I wonder what part you might play in that. Have you plugged into the power of generations in this church, which is a church that can uniquely provide that opportunity, by the way? So you have the power of community. You have the power of generations. Thirdly, we have the power of blessing. I love this one. Elizabeth, when John leaps in her womb, was inspired to cry out words of blessing to Mary. Here are some of the words she said. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth pronounced God's favor. She pronounced anointed words of encouragement over this young girl. And it filled her with such power and hope that she broke into a song of praise that would go down through the ages. I wonder if you realize the power of the words of blessing that you have. When you call out what you see in someone else, when you recognize their gifting and and speak it to them, when you declare God's favor over a person, those words of blessing have power. In men's life, dads learn to speak blessings over their children, and we learn there are three parts to every blessing. I love you, I'm proud of you, and I can name the good things that you do, and here they are. I recognize what you are good at. I love you, I'm proud of you, and here's the things I know you are good at. And I, I spoke those words over my children every night when I put them to bed. So imagine my blessing when I heard my son Cooper Blessing his two-year-old daughter with the same words that he had received when he put her to bed. We live in a culture of criticism. Social media specializes in mocking and taunting and tearing people down. We're called to be blessers. Do you use your words to affirm and empower others? When you spot God at work in someone, do you call it out? Do you encourage it? Do you throw kerosene on it? Dads especially, you have no idea the power of your words in your children's lives. But all of you, every one of you, when you take the time to look and to notice and to affirm and to declare God's approval upon the life of another person, especially upon a younger person, it is like a jolt of a power surge. 
So we discover in this story a power of community, the power of generations, the power of blessing. And then, perhaps unexpectedly, the power of humility. The power of humility. I want you to listen again to some of these words from Mary's Magnificat, the song that she sang. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. And He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. One of God's favorite things to do is to use humble people to accomplish extraordinary things. He apparently loves to do that because he does it so often. Last week, I, I was talking with someone about a pastor of one of our larger churches in our denomination. My friend said he's kind of cocky, and I'm not sure he will listen to anyone. Wow. You want to hear the death knells of a ministry? You just heard them. Pride and arrogance. It's like the, it's like the dormant cancer cells in a pastoral life. And it's the same is true for our society. Pride arrogance. And so I ask you this day, humbly ask you this day, are you a humble person? The problem is if you answer yes, then already you're probably prideful. and you. So it's a, it's a terrible circle you're trapped in. But really, would the person that knows you best, your spouse, your best friends, would they describe you as a humble person or as arrogant? Do you seek the spotlight or do you avoid it? Do you push yourself forward or do you elevate others? There is power in humility. There is power in humility. God loves humility. He blesses humility. And by the way, God abhors pride. It may be the worst of all sins because it is the mother of all other sins. He abhors pride because the proud think that they have no need of Him. They can do it all on their own. And it becomes their strength and their ability and their vision and their money and their influence. It's all about them. Which, by the way, is the definition of idolatry. The meek shall inherit the earth because they know they need God's power to do it. And that brings us to the source of all power, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. I've always known that Luke emphasizes the Holy Spirit. We've already talked about this many times in our sermon series so far. It's he, of, of all the Gospels, Luke talks more about the Holy Spirit than any other. But this week, having read this thing a zillion times, something jumped out at me that I had never seen before. In this first chapter, there are five key human players. Zechariah, Elizabeth, unborn John, Mary, and unborn Jesus. Five key players. By the end of just this one chapter, all but one of them have encountered the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, we are told the Holy Spirit filled John when he was still in his mother's womb. In verse 35, Gabriel tells Mary that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her. In verse 41, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 67, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. And as for Jesus, Luke just reserves his Holy Spirit story for the baptism which is coming in chapter 3 because he wants to make the special point that even the Messiah, perhaps especially the Messiah, had to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do what he was called to do. One chapter, five characters, all of them empowered by the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you sense a theme here. Do you think he's trying to make a point? 
One of our DNA markers as a church is we are spirit-filled. Sometimes that's a little odd. Presbyterian spirit-filled doesn't necessarily immediately go together in your mind. Well, we are that bunch. Presbyterians who are spirit-filled and want more of the spirit. And you will hear us talk a lot about this because we know we cannot possibly get enough of the Spirit, nor can we do what God calls us to do unless He fills us anew every day. We've been challenging you for the one. We're asking you to, to pray for, to reach out to, and to even have the courage to invite someone to come to church that is not yet a church and maybe does not yet know the Lord. Well, you will not have the courage to do this without the Holy Spirit. You will not have the words to speak without the Holy Spirit. And you will not have the timing right without the Holy Spirit. The ultimate and only power source for every Christian, great and small, is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. I want Chapel Hill to be a power station, a place where the weak and the small who love God can become empowered, a powerful place of community. A powerful place of generations. A powerful place of blessing. A powerful place where God exalts the humble person. And a powerful place where the Holy Spirit is invited into every aspect of our lives. Amen, Amen indeed. Let's end it there. Let's pray. Amen indeed. May it be, Lord. That's what amen means. May it be so. We want to be that kind of place where we are humble before you, filled with your Spirit, and we are trusting you. A place that recognizes we need community. We need people of all generations. We need the blessing that we can speak into each other's life and that there's power in all of those things. Every one of us, Lord, needs something in one of those areas. And I pray that the Spirit of whom we have just spoken will stir that in us right now. That we'll leave here today saying, I need that. I need more community. Or I need to be engaged with people of a different generation, a different perspective. I need to speak blessing into the lives of those I love. I need to receive that from someone. I need to be aware of the ways in which I am proud and arrogant. I need to beseech the Lord for humility. I need more of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you will, as you always do, you will speak through your word and you will transform us this day. For we ask it in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.